Hi, my name is Isabella, and I'm the host of this podcast, Amateur Activist. Here, we talk about various social, political, and sometimes theological issues, and we stumble our way through it because, well, we're amateurs. We don't have all the answers, we don't have any influence, and we certainly don't have any resources. But we are willing to sit down and have a chat. If that sounds like you, we invite you to join us on Wednesdays as we cover pretty much anything. We believe we deserve better and we're willing to do what we can to change the world. Will you join us? This season, Amateur Activist is made using Zencaster, the ultimate all-in-one podcasting platform. I am entirely inexperienced and unqualified when it comes to producing each episode, and Zencaster has made it super easy to do, especially when I'm in a time crunch, and I don't have the time to fumble my way through producing episodes. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. You can set the right podcast loudness and levels, while also reducing background noise with just a click of a button. One of my favorite aspects of Zencaster's post-production is its ability to remove filler words like um and uh, which, if you know me, can happen a lot as my brain tries to catch up with my mouth. One of the main reasons I switched to Zencaster towards the end of last year was that I could record with up to 11 guests without our session timing out. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code, the amateur activist and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hello and welcome to another episode of Amateur Activist. Um, This week I am joined by Susan Smith. Hi Susan, how are you? I am very well and really happy to be here. A little oh, bit excited, yay. actually. Yeah, Stepping I know. Into the world of like your world. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is uh, such an honor um, and privilege to have you on here as a guest. And so, before we jump into anything, I just want to say thank you for um, being willing and taking time out of your day to do this because it does oh. mean a lot. My pleasure. And I'm doing my level best to not blush at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we dive into our topic for the week, could you introduce yourself for those that are not from our part of the world? Um, A little bit on who you are and I guess what you do, anything that you'd like to offer listeners? Well, I'm one of those boring nuclear family people. I am married to Jim for the last 40 years. I have one male and one female child. Um, so I'm one of those um, people that, um, you know, so many other people get hit over the head with that this is the ideal. Right. Um, I am in a season of my life where I am now an empty nester. So I am back rediscovering who Susan Smith is because um, <laughs> she's no longer, you know, a hands-on mum and she's not got a husband who's spending copious amounts of time away from the home um, in his career. So I'm just really, I'm doing all sorts of different things. I'm um, a director for a local mental health charity. I've got my own business. I volunteer and um, I, I also, which I really enjoy, have a little retail job. Um, working you? in I do in, um, I won't say the name of the company, but I, you know, high-end sheets and towels and... and wow. Because and I, and, I just, I, it really helps, um, you know, be able to nurture that creative um, yeah. styling side of myself that I... I'd really forgotten and uh, and really enjoying it. Uh, and it's terrific. I can talk to people and not have to make notes. So I'm really <laughs> enjoying that part. You know, I do, I do um, that is such an interesting, like, do you find that the note-taking comes into other aspects of your life or can you just kind of shut that off and make that a work thing and then other conversations you're not mentally taking notes or physically taking notes? I... I I find that I'm really odd that I don't know that I know something about someone until I'm asked. So I find that I make notes and I put them in the filing cabinets at the back 
And then when I think about the person, I can basically just pull all the information back out. Wow. Um, so I think that's actually from being a banker where you needed oh. to really relationship build, understand right. who your customer was. And so you would, you know, for instance, um, I would, I remember something specific about a client and then I attach information to that trigger that will bring back all the information. Ah, that's so interesting. I reckon that works well in the retail job as well. If you're trying yeah. to style and yeah, what a definitely. Skill. And it, and it helps to have a sense of humor and, yeah. you know, um, unfortunately people can be a little bit grumpy when they're trying to do things and, and you just need to, you know, jostle them a little bit and, and, and help them relax, I think. Yeah. And, you know, particularly I have a very strong Australian accent and so that usually entertains most people. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week we are talking about attachment styles. Um, it's a bit, I guess, selfish of me because it's something that I'm interested in and it, you know, I think fascinates is too strong of a word, but it's what I, it always just kind of grabs my attention and piques my interest and it's something that I'm really looking at in myself and kind mm -hmm. of seeing how I'm going now as a almost 24 year old. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, and I also think it would be a really helpful conversation to um, start the new year with, start the new season with. And so before anything else, can you explain, I guess, what attachment theory is or uh, where where it came from, I guess, or what the different, like, what's the purpose of understanding or the purpose of attachment styles, I guess, in its most basic form. Hmm. I, th I think, I think definitely the reason why it, it's such a, a great topic is that I think attachment model is the reason why we do the things we do. So between attachment model and boundaries, they're really the key aspects of the way that we do life. Hmm. They're different to our identity. Our identity is we're working on our identity from the minute we hit the planet to the minute we leave. Hmm. So we're evolving as people, um, if I can use that word, over our lifetime. Hmm. So attachment models aren't nailed down. They might, you might learn um, a particular attachment model when you're growing up, and I'll go into the types in a moment. But as you grow up and develop as an adult, they can change mm -hmm. and they do change. So when we're children, there's the old nature nurture argument that we're born with a certain amount of things that come from our gene pool. Right. And then we take those characteristics from our gene pool and they interact with the world around us. Now, obviously, as a, as, a, as a baby and as a child, your parents are the most or your caregivers are the most important relationships in right. you learning. So depending on how your parents interact with you, people come with um, what's called a secure attachment model. Now, that doesn't mean they're perfect and they've got it all together. <laughs> that just means that they're fairly secure in who they are and mm -hmm. that the world is fairly safe and that they can go out into the world away from their family and their close people to them. Mm -hmm. You've got ambivalent people. And I think the ambivalent, ambivalent, ambivalent attachment model is easiest explained by saying you come into settings and relationships thinking you can come you can stay but don't expect them to love you hmm. it's a bit of a tricky one that one but that's to me the best way to explain it that's your expectation so you have difficulty if you like giving yourself completely because you you really don't believe they love you and, you know, they might go to all lengths to try and prove to you they love you, but you have difficulty receiving that. Right. Then there's um, the anxious um, and um, the, let, let's call it anxious, let's call it um, avoidant because we're unclear of what's going on, we're unclear of how we feel about what's going on. We don't like our feelings, mm. so we tend to avoid certain settings, okay? okay? And that usually has a fair amount of anxiousness attached to it. 
And the last one um, is unfortunately when you've had some fairly significant dysfunctional upbringing and or abuse and you end up with a disorganised attachment model. Hmm. So they're sort of the four attachment models that are talked about most widely. Right. I was first introduced to, I guess, attachment styles, models, theories through the book, Why You Do the Things You Do by... Um, Sibke Clinton. Yes. And it was um, a phenomenal... There's a funny... Like, I remember reading it going, okay, that one's definitely not me. That one's definitely not me. And then just, you know, the next chapter I'm reading, I'm like, oh, I'm not in here. I'm totally fine. And then it hit me and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, I'm reading a whole chapter just about my attachment. Help. But it was obviously worded in a way that I was like, okay... I've now, I, I'm starting to begin why, of course, I do the things I do. What a great book title. Yeah. But for those that are, you know, they're, this is the first time they're being introduced to attachment models and they're going, oh, okay. I know, okay, you've said the four and you kind of briefly described the four. Is there a way that someone can go about identifying themselves? You kind of briefly mentioned that there's not just a one set model that you're in for the rest of your life from, ch from childhood. So how do you begin to identify or associate with one model or style versus the other? I think people do that through discovery mm. when they, you know, they're, they're on their fourth intimate partner that hasn't worked out mm. and they're starting to see a pattern and right. they're thinking, what's that about? Now, for some of that, that might be modelling. It's not actually your attachment model, though influenced by it. It may be the modelling of your parents' intimate relationship. Right. And you've taken on one role and you keep trying to recruit the other role. So say you're most likely your dad and you start trying to do your intimate relationships like your dad did and you keep recruiting your mum, mm. if that makes any sense. Right. So sometimes it's about thinking about the past and where you come from and why you've arrived at this place mm. now oftentimes the use the reading of boundaries um, and that comes in many different forms but the reading of boundaries and then why you do the things you do exactly what happened for you you made a discovery and you right. went ah oh. right <laughs> I think that is the cheapest and safest way to do it, to be really honest. You're not having anyone project anything onto you. You're right. making a discovery for yourself and you're landing yourself in a section for yourself. Right. And from there, you're making a, a, a decision about when you're ready to change. There's actually what's called a motivational change model. And we often sit in this the first phase is being completely unaware uh, that there is a problem. And then we get into the contemplative stage where we acknowledge there's a problem, but we're not quite ready to change yet. So there's stages of movement, even when you're talking about your attachment model. And right. it's really important that you get to be in the driver's seat for that. Present yourself to a counsellor too, too quickly or just with the motivation to fix whatever's going on because it's driving you crazy is mm. not necessarily going to get you the outcome that you're after. But right. I think the way that you've gone about it in that you've been contemplating, you, so you've come out of family of origin, you've started your journey into adulthood, you've thought mm. this isn't quite clicking and working out for me, so mm. I need some more information. Psychologists often call it putting more tools in your toolbox. Yeah. So you're going, I need a big wrench and I don't have one. So I need yeah. to go and get that skill or yeah. I need to get that wrench from my toolbox. So you've been really wise. You've got yourself some additional information and from there you've made discoveries about yourself. Mm. Now, the great thing about most humans is the change has already begun now that you've given yourself more information you're actually going to organically start to make choices and right. change and go you know yeah. what 
I'm not doing that anymore and you're not talking to me like that anymore. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You start to yeah. make changes. And after this sort of organic period, we tend to have these harder parts that we can't resolve on our own. Mm. And it's perhaps then that we go to a trusted person. And when I say trusted, I mean someone that that can just shut up and not have to talk to other people about what they're talking to you about. Yeah. Um, someone that is trusted, someone that has the right skills to help you pick apart what you've discovered. It's one of the reasons why I'm both a coach and a counsellor. Mm. As a counsellor, my ethics require me to al allow people to arrive at a destination largely on their own with me mm. asking the right questions and creating a safe place. Mm. For some people, they get very frustrated in that space <laughs> and that's where coaching allows me to go, really, what do you know about DV? Now, right. I may not point it out to them, but I've given them a little hint where they've had to think about it. Right. And, right, and, right. I've, and I've poked it along a little bit more, mm. if that makes any sense, yeah. because then we can talk more about they may not have very much information about, I shouldn't use um, initials, domestic violence or domestic family violence, but as we start to give more information about what that looks like, right. they may make another discovery that puts another right. two points together for them. Right. And sometimes that needs to happen a little bit more quickly than counselling allows. Right, right, right. That was a very long-winded answer. No, no, it was perfect. So I think even, even now, like, and I, I don't know if it's just my personality or maybe it's all humans, but, you know, the minute I discover something about myself that doesn't even, it doesn't have to be negative or positive. It's just more so explains an aspect of who I am that I thought was, I uh, consistently feel like I am not crazy in the literal, like, you know, in the medical term, but just that I my experiences are unique and no one understands and I'm misunderstood and blah, 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 blah. So if I read something from told something that goes, oh no, this is just a collective, a collective, this isn't unique to you. <laughs> you're not, you know, you're not by yourself. You're not in isolation. Here's something, yep. here's a tool to understand yourself better. I instantly, I can't help but go, okay, well now what do I do? Like now that I know that I, for instance, have an anxious attachment, how do I begin to, how does this affect, I want to know everything about what I've learned about myself. Cause then I go, yeah, it, it connects everything for me. And I go, oh, I'm not, you know, a crazy anxious person. I, this is just an anxious attachment for instance. And so for me, we looking at, okay, I could identify myself in the book five years ago, four years ago, but now I'm older and I have grown a lot and I have more tools in my toolbox than just what I had at 18. So mm. now I am relooking going, okay, there are some places here that I still have a little bit of anxious avoidant attachment, but I am more secure here. And for me, it's been nice to kind of take inventory of, okay, mm. or I am pretty secure in this area. Yeah. And, and that's, that's that organic change I'm talking about. Doesn't need a counselor. Yeah. It just needs that information so that you can have those out-of-body experiences when you're in a situation go, oh, okay. Yeah. And I, I see myself doing it now. Yes. And I used to think when people talked about therapy or counseling and the tools and they would go, I caught myself, you know, almost live. Like it wasn't in hindsight. And I used to go, nah, that's just bullshit. Like it's not true. Like how could you catch yourself doing something live? But now mm. after a few years of collecting tools and using them and being becoming more self-aware, there are a thousand percent there are moments where I'm, you know, acting in a way that's in a defense mechanism or protective mechanism. And I've just gone time. Hold on. Like, what am I like? What am I doing? And it's a crazy out of body experience because there's a part of your brain that is aware that it's mm. not, you know, um, I don't want to say it's not normal, but it's not a healthy reaction that it's something else. And you're just kind of like, wait a moment. I know that I know why I'm doing this. We, we can just pause for a moment. <laughs> we can just take a second. Exactly. So, it's 
It's creating new brain pathways. So instead of staying in the automatic pathways that you've developed, it's about creating those new pathways. And, And I will put a caveat on this. You may be being defensive because it's appropriate for you to be defensive. Yes. Um, it, you know, where you've previously as an 18-year-old judged yourself for being defensive, mm-hmm. now hopefully you go, well, yeah, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. We're going to leave that there. Yep. Um, but it's really about creating these new automatic pathways where mm-hmm. you're not just acting in a way that you no longer agree with. Right. And that you don't feel like, you don't have control over because that was yeah. another thing is like you've said there are moments where I feel like being defensive or setting a boundary is the appropriate uh, action but mm-hmm. I think where in previous years it was almost an involuntary um, I don't have anything else to do so I'm going to set a boundary and so it's you know you feel a, almost a compulsion that I well I don't have anything else so here it is whereas now it's like oh out of the four tools that I have option a works best. (laughs) And sometimes that is defensive or boundary or, you know, just walking away. Yeah. Creating the person just is not safe. Yeah. Yeah. And some of that is just about culture shock. I mean, you may move countries to study. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that you had learnt about how to be when no longer irrelevant. Yeah. So you've, you've Mm -hmm. spent, the last few years, it takes approximately four years to get over culture shock. Mm. And it takes, so so now you're right on schedule where you know what's happening where you are. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it is it is a great time to be looking at your defence mechanisms mm. and figuring out whether or not they're actually necessary. Mm. They were necessary, and this is what I'm saying, like don't just be chucking the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. We generally have defence mechanisms different ones at different points in our life yeah. because it depends on how much information we have. Yeah. Um, and that probably stopped you from getting really badly hurt yep. by just letting the gates open and everybody have a go. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think in that context, a slow burn on releasing out your control mechanisms and your boundaries is actually extremely appropriate. Mm. We, so we've, I think we've kind of briefly touched on it or kind of talked around it, but yep. why is understanding one that we all have an attachment model or multiple that we navigate throughout the day, throughout our lives, why is that important? And why is it important to start, you know, growing, developing, analyzing the inner work of, you know, okay, this is mine. How do I move forward with compassion, but also move forward so that I'm a healthier version of myself? Like, why is that important? I think it's important because the genuine, um, the stuff that really matters in life is about love and relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, And to really build intimacy with whether it be friends, an intimate partner, your children, um, you know, the people that you work with, these are all varying degrees of intimacy. But if you're not, if you're, if you're unaware of self, you're unable to actually share a legitimate and honest version of who you are, Mm. allow them to see who that person is and love you anyway. If you're presenting a facade of what of who you feel that you need to be in that scenario, then you're never allowing people to actually touch the reality and love you. Hmm. I think that's the most important thing. It it doesn't allow. So when you're let's say that you are three years into living with your intimate partner and the you you start to be having conflicts about whether or not it's time to start a family mm. without that knowledge of attachment without that knowledge of where the other person's come from as well as your own you're not necessarily alert to why they're acting the way that they are and you are perhaps judging and blaming incorrectly making the conflict perhaps worse than it needs to be or off topic 
Mm. Um, if that makes any sense. So attachments help us particularly, let's just pick on the intimate relationship, Mm -hmm. helps us understand who we're presenting to be loved and who is presenting themselves for us to love. And then it helps us navigate conflict and enjoyment by sharing as we move forward. Mm. That's really what it's about. You've you've no idea who who you're offering into the relationship if you mm. don't have self awareness. And attachment is a really big thing to know. Mm. Um, as I said, I'm not talking about justifying behaviour. I'm not talking yeah. about judging behaviour. I'm talking about a gentle acknowledgement that everybody's got a story. Mm. Everybody's arrived here because of certain events. Um, and you, if you're aware of those, you can help the person in a complementary way understand where you're both coming from and then arrive at a unique pathway forward for your intimate partnership. Mm. So I understand that you're nervous about having children because this, this and this happened to you. Mm. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about what's different between our partnership and the partnership you came from, mm. the circumstances that was in, is, is that real for us? Right. So it allows you to be able to challenge the validity of the fear. Mm. It I makes remember when like... I first got married and I would clean the house mm-hmm. and I would start here and start here and start here and start here. And by the end of the day, the house was in a worse condition than it was <laughs> when I started. So it can be as basic as the first thing I did was teach myself how to clean the house in a strategic manner. Mm. And when I had it down under two hours, I thought, right, now where else can I apply this to? Right. And I started to bring myself out of disorganized into a more secure place mm. by just picking on small things and, and being disciplined and bringing them out of that chaotic mm. type living. Right. It may be an obvious, like, answer to this question, but what, what how, like, what's the, um, what's the consequence of, so in the intimate partner um, scenario, of you, of someone presenting a version of themselves to be loved that's not their actual selves because of lack of awareness or fear of vulnerability. What are what what is the breakdown or what is what is the actual impact of that? Because I would assume that then there's not actual love being felt if I'm presenting a facade or a version of myself to be loved that's not actually who I am, and the partner is loving this presented version what is the actual breakdown of that or the actual consequence of that if that makes sense it's lack of intimacy I mean Mm. have you ever met someone that you walk away from them after a few weeks of trying to get to know them and go who are they like you you know there's a wall yeah Mm. so can I ask you what do you generally do in those relationships when you can't move it any further they won't let you move it I walk away or I just kind of I either walk away or I let it continue to be surface level if it's not an important relationship correct so imagine being in an intimate relationship like that Mm. where you know that your that your partner is not letting you in Mm. so it has the consequence of there's a lack of trust there's a lack of intimacy both physical and emotional there's a lack of um really being able to feel um this is a big word and i hope it doesn't come across as too ideal completed by that person you know Mm -hmm. that they are someone that you couldn't imagine moving forward in life without um I, i think that it's it it has I've known a number of couples in my own life and I'm just staying in my own life who um, eventually the, the partnership just breaks down because 
one of the couples has tr- half of the couple has tried and tried and tried and then in the end just walked away because the other person may not come with them um right for some people if they will sign up to change quite often um there is a person on the other side of their intimate partnership who is is waiting to help them do that and understand who this person is but what happens when you present a fake version of yourself is that you are often become very tired of pretending after a Mm. month six months six years um and you can be vulnerable then and and i i say this very carefully to um coping mechanisms that are unhelpful Mm. drugs alcohol affairs workaholics anything that fills that void and you can avoid being able to do anything about it Mm. so there's personal consequences and there's consequences for relationships if you don't you know if your intimate partner has come to you and said this isn't working or I don't I don't know what's going on um, and you and, and and often this is men and I apologize to men that are listening to your podcast that you're all about making it better just shushing it yeah. down and making it better <laughs> rather than going okay well let's sit down and talk about that how are you feeling yeah um, you know like even the fact that I've suggested they should do that they're all going whoa yeah. <laughs> you know? but it is really important that you're you you resist just trying to shush it all down Mm. and make it better for the moment you actually really need to understand Mm. what's going on for the other person yeah I think it's it's I feel like there's a it's not a taboo but there's a um I'm blanking on my words there's a certain emotion or a certain feeling against like being too self-aware or being too um, being overly communicative with your partners or with your friends and whatever. And I would, I mean, I think my friend group, it's a small five of us. I would say that we're probably, I over communicate because I am aware of the things that make me insecure in our friendship or certain needs that I have that I know won't be met unless I communicate it. <laughs> and, but I think oh, it yeah. is important because I feel like, you know, we all met each other at 18. We all met each other because we went, most of us left home. And so we were isolated alone, 18 year olds. And our friendship could have easily broken down over the course of mm. five years, um, especially through COVID, especially through lockdowns, especially through whatever. And I think, although it's not an intimate, you know, romantic partnership, there is a certain level of intimacy. Yeah, there's an intimacy to it. And there's a vulnerability Mm -hmm. to it that I think required us at some point, at least I noted, at some point, this is only going to it's going to stay stagnant, or we can over communicate so that our needs are being met and that we actually end up surviving <laughs> the, yeah, like the length you're fighting, of you're fighting for the future of the relationship yeah that's you're, you're showing love you're going i want this relationship so i'm going to fight for it and if the consequence of that is you feel i overshare so be it yeah that, that's kind of where i'm like and as you know although it's not romantic and although it's not um intimate in that way there is a, a sense of this matters to me mm. and i want to do this well and I wish more people were like, even in small conversations with, you know, people that parties or whatever, it's like people are so unwilling to, or it feels like they're unwilling to actually know themselves. And I think you've, you've worded it in such a beautiful and gracious way of like, knowing yourself is not this selfish, I want to know myself better. It's well, it, it, Literally, if you don't want to do it for that reason, do it so that you can bring yourself to relationships better because it's you are going like if you want to be loved better, bring like figure out who you are and what you love Mm. and what, you know, fulfills your needs and desires as a person so that other people can love you well. (laughs) 
don't don't rip people off yeah don't rip people off yeah because effectively that's what you're doing is you're ripping people off Mm. you're not allowing them to be able to enjoy you Mm. you're ripping them off yeah you know if you if you withhold and and I'm not saying for one minute that you have to share with everybody all the time I'm not saying that um what I'm saying is the the real joy the real fulfillment in life comes from these wonderful deep relationships that Mm. we can we can develop I mean I'm fortunate enough in my own life that I've got three women in my life that I've known you know they've been my friends for more than 30 years one of them 42 years Mm. um and we've grown and we've we've changed and we've had these parts of our relationship where we're further apart and then we're closer together because life allows. Yeah. And they're just, they're, they're, I know they're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's incredibly securing for me. I know they're there. I know they've got my back. Um, and, and that's so um, validating for me as a person. Mm. So it's sort of, you can go out into the world and like I'm sure with your podcast, you get people to go, oh, you know, that's awesome. And you get other people go, well, I can't believe she went near that subject. Yeah. Like it's these five people as well as your family that helps you weather the haters. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like having your your people to mm. to fortify you. Yeah, and to love and like to feel loved by and to also love yeah. fully as myself. And I think... I don't, I was reflecting on friendships uh, a few weeks ago because it's something that I was talking about in counseling. And I found uh, an old journal entry from 2019. And it essentially, to summarize it, had said that like the idea of having a friend for 42 years, for instance, it wasn't what I put, but you know, you, you hear these people who are like, oh, we've been friends for, since we were in kindergarten. And I don't really have friends like that to begin with before moving to Australia. And so I was writing about this idea of having friends forever. And it just, like I wrote that it terrified me, but it also was like, I don't want anyone to ever get that close, that they would have known me through all of these stages of my life. Like, okay, I have friends that knew me in high school. I have friends that knew me while I was in Australia. And now I have different friends. And I was reading back going, just kind of smiling and going, oh, Isabella, like in, in hindsight can go, you were afraid of loving people fully as yourself, but also being loved fully as yourself. And it matched the attachment style that I, most align myself with back then and now it's like an unashamed I love my people so hard and I feel so loved by them and yes there are moments we where we are further and closer apart there are moments where I am more anxious and more insecure in our friendship but I am not like I want these people in my life for the next 40 years and it's funny because it matches you know how I move up move in the world because of the attachment style that I most align with now. And it is just an interesting, like looking back going, ah, uh, that makes sense. You were, you were a little bit confused mm. as to why that was then because. Well, you were afraid of love. Yeah. Really. That's because we can get hurt when we love. Yes. So, mm. you know, you've, you've let go of the control, mm. you know, the really the definition of love um, is the acceptance that you will be hurt. Mm. Um, that's what love and trust means. You accept mm. it as a consequence, as a payment, as a currency for, for love and trust. I'm going to get hurt. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to lo- yeah. lose control of my ability to protect myself. But in return, my life is richer. Yeah. Mm. And I get to bring richness to other people's lives. So there's a a currency exchange, if you like, Mm. um, where you really have to let go of the fear of love. Mm. Oof. We, you mentioned at the very beginning that you can have a secure attachment and obviously not be a perfect human being with no issues. No such thing. Yeah. (laughs) But I'd also (laughs) assume that most people at some stage in their life, and maybe it's a post-pandemic thing or maybe it's just a life thing, that now 
you know, are navigating uh, an anxious or maybe disorganized or avoidant ambivalent attachment. So an un- a quote unquote unhealthy attachment. Can you provide maybe a glimpse into what the process is of beginning to heal that and go, okay, and maybe it doesn't have to be from disorganized to secure, like such a drastic shift of, you know, style, but going, okay, if I am, you know, say an ambivalent style, what, how do I even begin to go, okay, I can trust that those around me can love me? You know, do you have the difference between you as an 18 year old and you now, do mm-hmm. you have a healthier relationship with your phone and your socials? Mm. Ooh. Do you own your phone or does your phone own you? Oh, I feel like it maybe ebbs and flows depends. So Really what I would say is get a hold of your phone, get a hold of it and take authority over it, Hmm. put it away, turn it off. Really you need to practice being face-to-face with people. Hmm. The pandemic's made it worse because we all went online. Right. So we're not practiced in allowing our vibe to go, I quite like her like to spend some more time with her or yeah, right. We're not sort of (laughs) listening to our vibe. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We've got that screen in the middle of us and the other people. Mm -hmm. And we're practicing being fearful towards people because we know what we're looking at. Intuitively, we know it's not real. Mm -hmm. So we're very, they're presenting a certain person to us because that's the role they're playing at that time on the screen. So it's really important to start to, with your ebbs and flows, make sure that you're spending more time with people face-to-face than you are actually on the screen in, and I'm going to use a really big word now, and some people aren't going to agree with it, in fantasy land. Mm. You need to come out of that world and you need to practice being in reality. Mm. there's another there's a book that is is great to think about on the other side of the pandemic and I've been using it and referring it quite a lot it's called the lies we tell ourselves Mm. and that helps understand what parts of our reality we're currently unhappy with and what lies we're telling about ourselves so that we actually can remain in those elements of our lives um, Mm. albeit unhappily Mm. are we bonding with the real person or do we tell ourselves lies about that person so we can stay in relationship with them Mm. and automatically I can see you thinking back to some relationships historically we've gone yep I can see that I did that that's (laughs) that's do you know what I mean that that's really where you've got to take yourself out of that fantasy fake world Mm. off platforms and you need to start really heavily practicing um, watching people's body language. Okay, what does that yeah. say? What does that mean? Getting back to you using your intuitive nature, developing your, some people call it EQ, some people call it EI, but developing that intuitive nature of knowing what's going on a little bit more with that person. Mm. All right? You're saying to this to me out of your mouth at a party but I can see both your arms and your legs are crossed and you're all right. You've got your handbag on your lap. So Mm -hmm. I'm getting this person verbally that's not marrying together with the body language. So you can see how that can help you then perhaps go, all right, this person clearly isn't comfortable with me. Maybe I should stand up and we should walk the relationship over to the food and have a chat over there. Maybe they'll find that less um, confronting yeah. than being in a two-seat sofa with us turned towards each other yeah. chatting about stuff. Yeah. So you start to lose, use those skills mm. to be able to uncover, okay, what what's really going on here? Yeah. And that just once again gets you back to practising being able to interpret and understand what's going on in your one-on-one or one-on-two or one-on-five interactions. Right. Where... Too much time on socials, too much time on platform 
we have degraded those skills. And mm-hmm. I think that's where the real problem is at the moment. Yeah. And I think as well, like there's a, and I found this with um, definitely the first lockdowns in Australia in 2020, but probably I want to say more so with the ones in 2021 of, you know, I think in 2020, my friends and I were very intentional with our relationships, like making sure we were still in touch they didn't feel as severe. So we, you know, the lockdowns themselves. Yep. But then 2021 lockdowns in Sydney or Australia happened and it felt very severe and it happened very quickly. And there were moments where, you know, we're doing our check-ins and we're doing our FaceTimes and they're even, even though FaceTimes feel more personal than just texting there is a certain yep. level of facade and um, inauthentic, hmm. you know, conversation that can happen of, yep. you when know. Trying not to burden your friends with yeah. how you're feeling. And so there's not that ability to just sort of lump in a sofa and, and go. Yeah, and just sigh. You know, you're like, oh. you, you feel responsible, which is a good thing to yeah. assist that other person. But yeah. this is the type of fake you know you're not receiving the love that you need because you're caring for the other person as well and Um, too much of that is not good for you yeah and so I think there was there was there were moments definitely in lockdown and definitely like social media has been around for such a long time now that it's it's not because of the pandemic but I think learning how to almost code switch is the wrong the wrong word, but almost a similar, um, similar vibe of like emotional switch, or you now are a different version of yourself because you're in front of a camera or you're texting someone. And meanwhile, who you are in real life is so not that. And whether Mm -hmm. that be real life with your friends or just like alone in your room. And so I think there's become this almost dissonance of who I am when I'm by myself versus even who I am in, in person with someone else have now become two different realities because Correct. of, I think, lockdowns and being isolated and years of a pandemic where we were forced to be alone. Yep. So I definitely agree that there is this, you know, and even that like people, I hear a lot from people that I'm so vulnerable and authentic online which I think for the most case is true, but there is still a lot that I filter out that is not wise to share online with people. And so it's funny because it's even then that I go, it's still a, it's still a curated authenticity. (laughs) It's still not, I don't have a thought and post it. I don't post every single thing that I want to or say every single thing that I want to. It's not safe. It's not safe, but I think we've made that the ideal, which is not an, it's not, safe or healthy either and so it's just it the two extremes when you're talking to your friends you don't have a pause button you don't have Mm. it's it is what it is and if you say something that offends them then they're going to have a go at you and you're going to have to sort it out together deal with it you know on social media you can filter things out you can think about okay that's going to definitely i'm going to have 18 emails about Mm -hmm. that particular point so i'm not going to put that in You just you can't do that in real relationships. You've yep. got to get in there, muck in, mm-hmm. and sort it out, and fight for your friendship to continue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. and I think that that is is what helps a person define their identity. Identity is formed out of what we say yes and no to. Mm. So there's all these different aspects of our need in developing as a human that are done. Face to face, I I know with my own practice, I will, I prioritize meeting face to face. Mm -hmm. I still think, call it old school, call it baby boomer, don't care what you call it. I think there's something extremely valuing and validating for you to meet with someone and sit and listen to their story. I I just think it's the best. Mm -hmm. So I prioritize and make sure. Now, could I could I make more money? Could I see more people by doing it online? Absolutely. But that is that going to bring the type of legacy that I want to leave on the planet? Mm -hmm. I don't think. Yeah, and there there's a yeah there's a real 
Like, I think there's a, a freedom now that, you know, we have platforms like this one where it allows ease, accessibility. You know, we didn't have yeah. to figure out how to meet. We just five minutes before we open our laptops, we close our laptops, whatever. But I think when it was a necessity, when we didn't have any other way of connecting with people, it was almost like a dangling a carrot in front of like we were so close to real human connection and yet so far because there's no body language aside from what I you know is in this box that I show you there's no sense of there's no touch there's no touch there's no feeling of your girlfriend coming up to you and picking up a lock of your hair and going I love the new color yeah you know what I mean which just fills you with endorphins Mm. you haven't got that yeah the loving orphans of you know someone noticing you've changed your hair that you care about. I know that's a really key thing to say, but it's it's that's that's what online can't bring you. Yeah. So it, it's really about. I, I'm not advocating that you you don't use platforms and you don't use your phone. What I'm talking about is taking control over it mm. uh, and and spending more time off it than on it. Mm. So it requires discipline. Mm. Yeah. And I also find that like, like I had said previously, like when you identify in yourself that, okay, whether it's reading a book or looking online or listening to more podcasts about attachment styles and you go, okay, that's me. Where do I go from there? I think the number one thing that helped was like you mentioned, talking to a a trusted person about it, but also going, okay, what do I need to feel more secure? not the ideal secure, but just more secure in this relationship. And if it is being told that you're loved every day, which for me, for a while, it was that I need you to reassure me every day that you're still my friend, because I am afraid that you'll wake up one day and go, not worth it. I need you to tell me every day. And thank God, because there were some friends that, and they're not here now, (laughs) (laughs) that went, nah, sorry, not worth it. And that was my big fear, right? Is that, oh, I'll express a need and someone will go not worth it. And the friend that the friends that I have now did it. They were, they went and said, no, actually you are worth it. We'll send you a little text or we'll let you know in our own way that, hey, that we love you and that you're worth it, that we're still your friend. And it's still every now and then a fear I have that they'll wake up one day and go, why are, who, why Isabella? And every, every time I voice that I have this fear again, they all rally and go, okay, we'll just we'll figure out how to tell you. But it's communicating that, just figuring out what you need and then communicating that to the person that you love, that you're in a relationship with, whether romantic or platonic and going, hmm. this is what I need in order to feel more hmm. secure. It's talking it through. Yeah, it's communicating. No. Like who knew that it was that <laughs> Yeah, I had, a, I had a friend who I had a friend, two friends that married, and one came from, you know, a very um, great upbringing, one from a highly dysfunctional upbringing, and he needed to share with his new partner, okay, when you go quiet because you're just enjoying being at home, I'm fearful that something bad is going to happen. Yeah. So because quiet in my family of origin was really bad. It was just Mm. before it all exploded. Mm. So there was permission given by the partner for him to come up and go, are we good? (laughs) Just to check in and go, are we good? Mm -hmm. So that once again, unlearning that, that negative prompt from old trauma, this is different. Mm. That's then, mm -hmm. this is now. Yeah. So getting these brain pathways to give up the fear Mm. because it's cemented in fear. Yep. And I think like just to, unless you have anything else that you want to add to wrap up this episode. I'm good. I know I had mentioned to you before we started recording, but I wanted to say it for people listening because I know that someone listening can go isn't this an activist podcast like why why are we talking about attachment styles and I I take three months off during the summer um, of rest and avoidance of activism um, of consuming media of anything because it's I've found that for me longevity 
cannot happen if I am on 24 seven every month. You're worthy of the time. Yep. And so, and I was thinking of while I was resting the, this summer of going, I actually think it is activism to care for yourself and to prioritize growth and a self-love that is beyond just like, I'm taking a bath, <laughs> but that is an actual love of self. And then that kind of seeps and bleeds into how you love people. And so this episode was at the forefront of my mind for this episode was it is actually an act of activism. It's radical for us to go, give me a moment before I can care and engage and step into hard conversations. Give me a moment to figure out one, who I am and two, what I need and how I love and have compassion for myself so that I can engage better and so, and be be more compassionate with myself and others. And mm. I think, you know. Activism is about bringing positive change. Mm-hmm. Unless you're well-informed, self-aware. You know, mm. when you read papers, when you do your papers for university or did, you looked at who the authors were, what yep. influences they'd had. Yep. You know, you've really, in order to be a really good activist, you've you've got to know what your biases are you've got to know what you're bringing to the table so that you can help sabotage those Mm. you know this isn't your agenda activism isn't about you know you being an influencer it's Mm. about you bringing positive change Mm -hmm. and even you know and then with being an amateur activist right like the idea is that we don't have resources we don't have influence really we don't have qualifications all we have is a voice in a conversation, but it's like, and passion and passion, passion and, and a desire and a belief that, um, that we deserve better, that there's better mm-hmm. out there for us. And so, but I think that learning about yourself and having compassion, like we had talked, like not being too hard on yourself and not judging yourself too harshly, like having actual compassion for yourself, which is really hard for me. Like I am, learning and trying to have more self-compassion is actually it, it's it's groundbreaking for activism like it, it, is. it is truly like a a radical thought to stop and go I just one moment please <laughs> but I'm willing to engage and I'm willing to wrestle and have hard conversations but first I need to figure out what's in here and what I need so that I can engage better and so absolutely like that's that's my hope, right? Is that the start of season two where it's 2023, shit is still happening. Like there are still terrible, <laughs> terrible things happening and heartbreaking things happening. But like one of the positive- That would have been part, partly influenced by attachment models. Yes, yes. And I was, I don't need to get too much into it, but I was reading in preparation for this episode, there are so many studies done about- attachment style and it's linked to social media use which we kind of briefly discussed today attachment style and it's linked to political ideology and whether you're a radical on either side attachment style and it's linked to um domestic violence whether you're a perpetrator or someone that's experiencing a victim and it's insane because you know these are all it is all linked obviously like how we attach to humans and how we engage with humans impacts everything. Absolutely. <laughs> Which like sounds silly saying it, but we just think it can't be that simple, but it is. It is that simple. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> but then now it's the journey of like also realizing that people are beautiful and that like you had said before that like we don't want to what, how was the way you were? Uh, we don't want to be ripped off. Like we, I want to be loved by you fully and love you fully. So let's do that. Yep. <laughs> like it sounds, but you let's, know. Let's do it in a way that's organic and takes takes the time for it to happen. Yeah, and you realistic. Know, and, as yeah. we talked about before, I'm, I don't, I don't like it when performance is attached to love. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you just you allow. It's an organic allowance you don't judge it you don't compare it you just do it yeah Mm. well thank you so much susan for taking pleasure time out of your week and day to sit down and talk 
to me, but also to anyone who listens to this episode. Um, I respect and love you very much. And so it means a lot that you would take time to you. talk to me. Yeah. I think it's, I, I think it's wonderful when, you know, people, as I said, they come apart and then they come back together again. And it's just all part of the, you know, I think Billy Joel said it best, you know, life is a series of the lows and goodbyes. Mm, yes. Being gentle with each other. Yes. Yep. Um, and to anyone listening, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Amateur Activist. Um, it's always such a gift and honor to record and have people listen to recordings. <laughs> um, and I will see you next week. And again, thank you, Susan, so much for today. Pleasure. See you, everyone.